Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let's open to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Be reading verses 3 through 16. the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to want and pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would illumine our minds, that you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. We often... We often give our attention to uh, the birth and blessing of children, right, as as we were, as we did today and as we um, celebrate, even last night, the the Foltz's uh, new one is here, Uh, Ethan, Ethan Wayne came at four o'clock in the morning, but we often give our attention to the birth and blessing of children as well as our culture's contrasting, really destructive hatred of children. Uh, We try to bring attention to God's giving of life and corresponding love of life. We give ourselves willingly to pro-life ministries as individuals and as a church, giving voice to those whose voice boxes are being crushed along with the rest of their bodies. Um, This is all very good. But it is only one part of our culture's love of death. 
Our university ethicists argue that parents should be allowed to kill their young children if, you know, up to, up to two years old, if uh, certain conditions or circumstances are met. And on the other side of life, our older population seems to be getting in the way. According to many politicians and many judges and many ethicists and medical professionals. Remember when Terry Schiavo was sentenced to death by dehydration by a judge in Florida? Uh, that was back in 2005, so we're 12 years on. Uh, Terry's husband wanted to be done with Terry, um, but her parents didn't want her um, to be to be killed by dehydration. She was in uh, what the doctors call a persistent vegetative state, yet by many accounts, she was able to communicate. She was able to communicate with slight gestures, with eye contact, with, with vocalizations in her voice. By order of a judge, her feeding tube was removed and all care, water primarily, was withheld. She slowly died. A human being was discarded as a lump of very costly and annoying cells. We live in a culture of death, so it is no use focusing just on one side of life and ignoring the other stages of life. We should have our minds set not merely on the beginning, but also on the care of those with all throughout and the ends, those with physical and mental illness, the elderly, the genetically unique, whatever it may be, the whole spectrum of lives created in and currently by their lives demonstrating their humanity, created in the image of God. Okay, scripture teaches us the truth of the glory of God in man and also to destroy that man or not to care for that man as an image bearer is terrible wickedness. It's nothing, nothing less than murder. Now, what about our treatment of widows? This whole passage that we've read today is about widows. It occurs to me that this may be one of the areas we most neglect in our love of life. Right? Perhaps we give a thought to unborn babies, and perhaps we give a thought to newborn babies, and perhaps we give a thought to the elderly, and perhaps we, we give a thought to the men mentally and physically disabled, but do we show a proper godly concern for widows? Um, widows are not necessarily old either. Uh, the Apostle Paul addresses both young and older widows in this passage. But what is it about widows that makes them particularly vulnerable? They are the weaker vessel as a woman, and they have lost their husband, who, if fulfilling his calling as a husband, has governed and protected and ruled her. All of that, sometimes in a moment, sometimes over a long period of illness, is removed. That protection, that love, that headship, all removed in sometimes a moment, sometimes a long course. Um, she goes from well-protected, well-fed, physically and spiritually, well-taught, well-ruled to on her own. Forced to be or to do much of what her husband had lovingly done for her. Why are widowers not addressed in Scripture? It's always widows. 
Why are widowers not addressed? They're not in such a vulnerable position. Um, Even today, in a radically egalitarian culture, men are just not in as vulnerable a a position. Um, Widowers have their own battles, their own hurts, their own temptations, right, when they lose their helpmate, no doubt. But what they don't lose is their primary spiritual head. They don't lose that. Um, Widows are in a desperate situation, and it is the calling of the church to care for them, particularly when they do not have children or grandchildren to care for them. And also they have a particular utility, a particular calling, a particular um, work that they can give themselves to in the church, which we'll come to next time. But think of what Think of what Scripture teaches about the special place of uh, widows have in the sight of God. Let this settle in a bit. Let me help you with that. God cares for widows and repeatedly tells us to take responsibility for them and holds his people to account in how they care for them. Um, Let's go back to the Old Testament for a few moments and remind ourselves of what God says about widows. God is himself a defender. God is himself a defender and protector of the widow. Psalm 68.5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The fatherless and widows, protected by God. Deuteronomy 10.18 says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God's eye is on the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. Uh, Proverbs 15.25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The proud he's against, the widow he's maintaining. So his eyes are on the widow as a husband's eyes are on his own household to protect it. He's like a husband to widows. Interesting, isn't it, how often there's a trio of different people that are combined when speaking of God's protection. It's usually widows, orphans, and strangers, and today we would translate that to refugees and immigrants. God has his eyes on those three people particularly because they're all vulnerable Now in Exodus 22, we read this, and after hearing this, you don't think, if you don't think more highly of God's regard for widows, I don't know what will shake you loose from your pride. Exodus 22, 22 says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you. With the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you, man, don't care for the widow and the orphan, get ready, your wife and your children are going to become the widow and the orphan. Mistreat a widow, and I will make your wife a widow. Mistreat a fatherless child, and I will make your children fatherless. I mean, think about that, brothers and sisters. God takes special thought and special regard to the weak, to the vulnerable, and widows are among the weakest and the most vulnerable. Perhaps God is grieved by our treatment 
of widows as he is with our culture sacrificing of children to Moloch. Perhaps he is more grieved by our treatment of widows than of the millions of dead children. As the people crossed over the Jordan, the Levites were to declare to the people the laws to govern the land. Remember, they had two mountains that they were on, and they would declare these things, curses and blessings, one of which was this, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. And they would say, Amen, after each of these statements. Judges who perverted the justice, the protection, and the care due to widows were to be judged. They were to be cursed themselves. Positively, look at the gracious provision God made for widows in the law. Deuteronomy 14, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your town, shall come out and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. The, the orphan, the sojourner, and the widow were to be cared for off of the excess of the people. The fields were not, were, were not to be gleaned so that the widows could go glean in the fields for their pr- provision. And a blessing came to those who blessed the widow. And so farmers were to leave those gleanings as, a, as provision for the widow and as a statement of trust in the Lord and as a, as a prayer, God continue to provide for us. As I'm generous, be generous with us. Then think of what the prophets say about widows. Do the prophets have anything to say about the widows? Generally, their message is one of rebuke to the priests about their disregard of widows, their forgetting of widows. The prophet Isaiah renounces Israel and commands them. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. And then he goes on, he says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. They've just turned a blind eye to the widow. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, and this is the section Jesus quotes as he overturns the tables in the the temple. Jeremiah 7, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave, gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? So the treatment of widows is listed right along with murder, with adultery, with stealing, 
with bearing false witness, with making offerings to false gods, basically all the other, all the Ten Commandments. Then the prophet Ezekiel says, Behold, the prince, the princes of Israel and you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. There are men in you who slander to shed blood and people in you who eat on the mountains. They commit lewdness in your midst. In you men uncover their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are unclean in their menstrual impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. Another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you they take bribes to shed innocent blood. You take interest and profit and make make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord. I mean, do you get what he's saying there? You're, You're sinning sexually. Left and right, you're you're having those that God has forbidden. And in the midst of that terrible list is your wronging of widows. Prophet Malachi pronounces God's coming judgment. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And perhaps we could sum up the teaching of the whole Old Testament regarding widows from one verse in the New Testament, which is religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure religion is to visit widows in their distress. Orphans too. And we've got the orphans thing down. Right? We give a lot of attention to orphans. But we do not give attention to widows. Do we have any question that God has his eyes set upon the widow? Do we have any question that he cares for the widow? Do we have any question that... He witnesses how his people treat widows and will discipline them accordingly. So when the Apostle Paul addresses widows, this should not seem like he's coming out of left field. This is a major theme all throughout Scripture. It's not weird that he talks about widows. It's just par for the course. It's part of the theme. God is concerned about widows, and so we should not be surprised that the Apostle is spend such a large chunk of this letter to Timothy addressing widows and the care of widows. Here is is this section of Timothy where the Apostle Paul speaks of a list of widows. Okay, those on this list would have been qualified widows. He, He lists the qualifications who serve the church and most importantly their needs would have been met. If you qualify for the list, the needs of the church would be met as those, as those widows serve the church, as some people call those servants deaconesses. Some people call those servants widows who, who have a, a, 
a work in the church that they're called to. But most importantly, their needs would have been met. They would have been cared for by the church. But before Paul gets to that point, those qualified and enrolled widows, he has a few teachings that come before it. So first, look at the first two words of verse 3. Honor widows. This is undoubtedly written to make us think of the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. In the Septuagint, the same word is used here for honor. We are to show honor to widows. We are to respect and think highly of widows. We are to give honor to the weak, unlike the world that wants to dishonor and discard the weak and widows. As Christians, we honor widows. But notice, secondly, that we are to honor widows that are really widows. Okay, that are widows indeed. So this would make me think that honor here means something beyond just sort of a private demeanor of respect, but actually honoring them with some recognition, some position, some status, some enrolled status, that list, that that work in the church. Some would be honored in that way, and some would not be honored in that way, but all should be respected as widows. The Apostle Paul then says in verse 4, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they, those children and grandchildren, must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. The meaning is simple, isn't it? If a widow has children or grandchildren, those children must practice piety in regard to their own family. They should take care of and meet the needs of their parents the children and grandchildren. Um, Their parents made years and years and years of sacrifices, caring for them, changing diapers, mending wounds, counseling, giving money, um, counseling them through the absurd thoughts they have when they're older. Um, Giving, 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 giving every day. And when the mother is widowed, it's now time for turnaround. It's now time for those children to care for that woman who is so committed to them. It's all well and good, right? It's it's not so easy in a society that tells you that the only way to be happy is to be free from burdens and be free from responsibilities, um, particularly anything that might be sacrificial. They say only have a few children because you won't be able to invest and have, um, you know, space of your own. They say put your widowed parents anywhere but in your own home. But the Word of God says this, be pious and make a return. Make a, a return. Your parents or grandparent gave and gave and gave and you are unwilling to make a return? Because you just happen to be in the prime of your life? That should not be. We often remind our children that we change their diapers and God expects them to change our diapers when we are older. We keep telling them that. And that's, this, that's just us preaching this verse to our children. This, and that's no joke, Zeke. Of course, there are times when medical assistance of our loved ones is necessary. Nursing homes are perfectly tuned to help in situations like that. 
and it's actually the more merciful thing to, to get a parent out of your home and into a situation like that. But the point is, you may not ever throw off your parents. You may, you, you must make a return. It's so easy for us simply to forget that, uh, it's, it's so easy for us to forget the time that our parents invested in us. Um, so that when we have needs, uh, we then feel no obligation to, uh, to, to give them assistance. We just forget. They have needs and we're like, eh, you know, something will come along, something will do. We feel no obligation. This return on their investment, this l- learning to practice piety in regard to our own family, it then says, is pleasing to God, is acceptable in the sight of God. We need to rethink this whole area of life and living and bring back a Christian commitment to it. Children and grandchildren, remember this verse and obey it. Remember this verse and obey it. And and to bring it home with strength, look at verses 7 and 8. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So children and grandchildren, the context here is children and grandchildren caring for a widow. I'm extending that to children and grandchildren caring for parents. We often, we often think of this as fathers in relation to their immediate family of not providing, but here it's children and grandchildren providing for the older. And so... But that verse really brings it home, doesn't it? If you don't do this, if your mother is widowed and you as a child or grandchild have this obligation to shun it is nothing less than to deny the faith. It's to deny the faith and to be worse than an unbeliever. Well, why so? That seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Why would the neglect of a widow be like denying the faith? Because neglect of our own family is so base. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. It's so low that it is only conceivable in the context of absolute godlessness. Right? It is, it is a denial of the faith. The Christian does not neglect his family. To do so can only be the fruit of a dead or non-existent faith. You know, one of the biggest regrets in my life was not caring for my mother when she was lonely and sick, going through a divorce, lonely, diagnosed with cancer, uh, in surgery, doing radiation, and I was a sophomore in college, and I wanted nothing to do with my parents because they were going through a divorce, and yet she was suffering. She was clinically depressed. She could not get out of bed. She's, She's at the hospital. She's recovering from cancer, and I, I don't think I called her through that whole process. And that is one of the, the most base and vile things I have ever done in my life. It, not, even, not even pagans do such heartless things. And moving backward a few verses, the Apostle Paul says, Now, She who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day, but she who gives herself to want and pleasure is dead 
even while she lives. Now he speaks to the widow, who is the widow indeed, one without someone who, to take care, for her, care of her. So this is somebody who doesn't have that child grandchild to take care of her. She's been left alone, it says. That widow has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. That, this is the first qualification of the widow that would be enrolled, I think. She, she shows forth this uh, character. She has fixed her hope on God, not on the things of the earth, not on relationships of this earth, not on the means that she could have in this earth. Her hope is fixed on God. She really just longs for God more than she, she talks of God. She longs for God. She prays to God. Her mind is fixed on God. She has that kind of faith that we see in Mary. Mary Wolf. She has that kind of faith. She marries a widow twice. She has, she has fixed her hope on God. She longs to be with God. Longs to, in a sense, be done with the world. Right? She has a deep faith that has matured through the things that she has suffered. The other evidence of the widow indeed is continuous prayer. Why prayer? Because it because it's always more faithful to pray than it is to act, right? It's always more faithful to pray than it is to act. We think that uh, more will be accomplished by our doing than by our praying, right? We fall into that trap. We must do rather than pray, and that is simply foolishness. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. Not the action of the righteous man. The action of Elijah in that case was, um, was just prayer. There was nothing else. God brought the rain. Of course, there's a time for action, but there is never not a time for prayer. Okay, there's never not a time for prayer. Prayerfulness marks the life of the true Christian. Prayerfulness is the mark of the Christian who desires fellowship with God Almighty. So many of us are content with our thoughts about God but neglect to speak to him. That's ridiculous. Rather than, you know, that's, that's like, rather than being a stamp collector, we're collectors of pictures of stamps. Like not the actual stamps, but just pictures of stamps. And we have access to God Almighty. We have his ear, and we are content simply thinking about him in the abstract. Right? But the, but the widow, who is a widow indeed in the official sense that Paul is talking about, has a vital relationship with the Lord. She continues in prayer night and day. She continues in prayer night and day. She wants to talk to God, not simply think about God. Now, we'll come back to these qualifications next time and, and just what this widow's list is. But what I want you to to leave this sermon with is the weight and opportunity you have in caring for family, particularly for widows. Our love of life will be a testimony to the God of all life. Our easing of others' burdens will be a sign of the easing of sin's burden on us by the Son of God. So look back at, at verse 5. It says that, Making a return to our parents is acceptable in God's sight. Think of that. Isn't that the very reason you should do anything or everything? 
It is acceptable in God's sight. That should be the singular motivating factor for all that you do. You say, this pleases God. I will do that. And I'll close with John Calvin's good words on this part of the verse. He says, therefore, we should gather a good and profitable doctrine out of this text. Namely, that nothing ought to stir us up more to do our duty than when it is said to us that it pleases God. For it would be a great shame for us to be negligent when God does us this honor to receive that which comes from our hands and shows that it pleases him. For let us see what we are and what we can be and what we can do. Alas, it is a pitiful pitiful thing to see what unprofitable creatures we are. It is true that for sin we are willing and ready. All of us can find means enough to do wrong and displease God. But regarding goodness, it is impossible to get one drop out of us unless God gives it to us. And yet, though he does govern us with his Holy Spirit and give us a mind to do well, yet we have so many infirmities in us that it is lamentable to behold. And the good affection and zeal we have to serve God shall always be mixed with many hindrances insomuch that whatever proceeds from us shall be foul and filthy. But however the world goes, God does not refuse to accept what we owe him, and that freely and of his mere mercy. It is not that we deserve it or that our works are worthy that we should so receive them. And therefore, when we hear that God of his mere liberality and goodwill does us this honor, to receive that which comes from us as a good and holy service, ought we not to be well affected thereunto? Ought not every one of us to labor as much as he can to do what pleases God? Is that, is that, was that your first thought this morning? Another day to do that which pleases God. And it truly pleases God. That's not just lip service. These things he says please him. Imagine God being happy because of your simple obedience to him. Rejoicing in your obedience as he sees Christ formed in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us for our neglect of widows. Pray that you would make us more mindful of those who are in this vulnerable position. That we would do what we can as a church to ease their their pains and ease their concerns and to show them the love of Christ and to be their head and to govern and love them well. Father, we pray that we would indeed search your scriptures to find out what what will please you. And then by faith in the work of the Spirit in us, we pray that we would please you by obedience. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.